I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. I'm really in the mood today. Oh, again? <laughs> All right. Monte Carlo. How are you? I'm good. How are you? You know, we woke up to a, another mass shooting today. Yep. Yep. So that's uh, charming. <laughs> like, uh, so some 18-year-old white boys drove several hours to a supermarket in Buffalo and shot 13 people, 11, 11 of whom black. were black. So probably racially motivated. Probably. Well, I mean, I, I, the updates at this, you know, it's, it's still in the morning here. So, but I mean, it's just like, okay, th this will be in the news for a day or two and no changes to gun laws. And, and this person was arrested alive. I'm presuming I didn't read about uh, it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, I, I feel like I don't even... It, white just, shoot, if it's a white shooter, they're alive. Oh, well, <laughs> so. I mean, I don't know. I just It's just interesting. Like, every time this happens, it's like a thing. But then zero changes to how we manage guns in this country. But whatever. I'm not necessarily against... Well, I am. I mean, we shouldn't have weapons, but... <laughs> or we shouldn't need them. Anyway. But I uh, know that it... People have a right to carry arms or bear arms like that's in our constitution. So unless we're going to change that, then it is what it is. Um, I read a thing or Heather Maz Matarazzo. Oh, yeah. From uh, Welcome to the Dollhouse. And she's a fun little part in sorority boys. I read an article about her because she had a series of tweets that were kind of like Amanda alarming. Bynes, like Amanda Bynes like tweets. No, they weren't like that unhinged, but. I'll read one of them because I think it gives a good sense of what was happening. She tweeted, I feel at a loss because I feel I have done the work for a long time with no complaint. I have taken the disappointments, the rejections, etc. and maintained that rejection is redirection. I have had continual faith in the universe, but today something broke. I feel cast. And then she goes on like... I just need a win, a life-changing win, because this shit ain't it. Fuck. So then she goes on to say, I mean, just a number of things like how she, something about her financial situation, which I need to find, but basically like how, oh, most people think I probably get paid a lot of money, but I really don't. And most working actors don't. I drive a beat-up fucking Prius, and I just bought my first pair of new shoes in over two years. I believe it. I mean, you know, she has been... It, it, you know, Parker Posey used to joke in the 90s, who was in, what, over 100 films, and said her dad still had to help pay her therapist bills. It, yeah, they don't pay working actors a lot, especially in independent film. And Well, you, you think, like... I, I did just... She just did had a small role in the new Scream reboot, and, you know, I'm sure that didn't... Yeah, but even either. if she got paid 100 grand, it's like, well, after you pay... Everybody else that has Your to help agent, you with, yeah. like when, like after you pay everyone and then you have to save some for paying uncle Sam, that's not a lot of money. Yeah. You know, I think people feel like, oh, you got 25,000, 75,000. Well, you're not getting that every week. You're getting that maybe like two, three times a year. I mean, when it's all said and done, these people are probably making the equivalent of minimum wage. Which is probably really challenging. Well, I know that it is because we've known people who are... Fame, they're more famous than they are rich. Yeah. And it's awkward because well, people recognize them. Well, look how they shamed... What's his fa name at the Trader Jeffrey Joe's? Jeffrey Owens, uh, who people always thought was my doppelganger. 
Or I, yeah. Uh, yeah, shaming him for going to work is insane, but I think it also, I mean, it's tricky to people put themselves out there, you know, wanting to be actors or musicians, you know, have some level of fame, but then the public expects. Well, I think that's what needs to be dismantled is public expectation. We have to allow humans to be human. <laughs> but... but so I, the only way to do that is probably more transparency. Like, it's expensive to be... But it, that all ties in, you know, the pressure that women feel to have to look a certain way as they age. Like, that, that all ties together. When I was doing hair in West Hollywood, there'd be a lot of actors who would come in and they would talk and then agents and people and just like people sharing like how much people's contracts are, how much they make per episode, how they have to pay this person, that person. They make very, you know, at the end of the day, people who are quite famous. We're not talking like the people on fucking, I don't know, what's a popular TV show? Modern what's the family. Modern, that's what I was thinking. But even, well, I'm not going to share that because, but... Uh but even on that show, one of the people was not, you know, they were supporting a huge family on a salary that sounds impressive. But when you break it all down and then this person's supporting several many people, uh -huh. it, 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 it's not, you know, they're no Seinfeld. But yeah, there are people who are on popular television shows, reality shows who are not getting paid. Because you think if you're on a reality show, you might get and we're talking like some of the more popular ones. Maybe they're getting like three thousand an episode, twenty if even a thousand an episode, and then they film like twelve to thirteen episodes, and then they're under contract to like sort of do promotional things, and they film for several months. So you think like you got paid twelve thousand dollars, and you're kind of tied up for like six to eight months. That's not enough money, and you can't have like a steady job because you're too busy doing this thing. So people have to make a lot of sacrifices, but that's the double-edged sword is like everything is so fake and everyone's like, you know, filming in these fancy homes that they rented on Airbnb and driving... Todrick. Oh, <laughs> driving these fancy rented cars and, mm -hmm. you know, wearing clothes that they borrowed because their friend works at Gucci and they have to return the shit the next day and you know, you present yourself in a certain way. So then it's like, you're forcing yourself to live up to that. And then you can't kind of like the people we were, uh, Oh, that's a good segue. So we were invited last night to a fancy, like, I don't know what you call them. An exhibition. An exhibition at an art gallery yeah. in Beverly Hills, uh -huh. which I already knew was not my scene, but I figured, you know, we're we, quality people. Maybe we should venture out and do things we wouldn't normally do. But I was wrong. That was not for me. At oh, all. I knew exactly that's how it would feel. I knew it. I, I didn't think it. it'd be that bad. Oh, I did. There's there's two rooms. So we get there, and a friend of ours invited us, which was wall, a very nice gesture. A lot of wall space. And we get there, and he arrived before us. So he said, just when you get to the door, tell the person you're my guest. So we get there, and first of all, the two chicken heads working the little thing were, uh -huh. they really were like chickens with their head cut off. They weren't acknowledging people on the line. They had like ear, they were wearing ear pieces like they were Secret Service. Oh yeah, and people. So would come I out. was thinking it was going to be like a big deal. I thought that we were going to walk into some huge gallery with major p artists and things in there. Oh no, I already knew that. No, it was no. two small rooms, but they could not get their shit together. No, nope. they were like so confused. And then I give them the name. To be fair, they had to 
go through a sheaf of papers. Oh my with god! All kinds of addendums. They had like what looked like the ledger in like a funeral home. Yeah. Like when you go to a funeral and everyone has to sign. It was something that thick with so many names and so many posts and. And my first thought was, who's just rolling up? I was so confused. Like at these events, isn't the purpose to get? Because everyone in there to me seemed like they were friends of people who no one is really going to buy any of this artwork. No. So why would you want to be so strict about who gets in? Why wouldn't you just want anyone who appreciates art to view it? So that already is weird to me. Trying to make it exclusive and then keeping me waiting for like 10 minutes before I can get in. Mm -hmm. Because we were standing there like, I'm not even sure why I'm here. Right. I don't know who this person is. I don't know what I'm walking into. And then you have me waiting like it's so exclusive. Mm -hmm. Like they oh, have to confirm. that It's it's just that's the LA way. It felt, oh my it felt God, very it was much so like, gross. But it's, it's like, why don't we have tablets that we're looking at RSVP lists on? I mean, they do that for press screenings. Why can't we do that for... Well, you're getting way ahead of what they were capable of. But we get in and it's two little rooms. But to get into them, there's like some... You had to step oblong cutout through a wall that was not comfortable to walk through. No, and if you were inebriated uh, or wearing stiletto heels, you'd be in trouble. And then we get inside, and the artwork, ninety percent of it, because there were probably ten pieces, mm -hmm. and of the ten pieces, nine of them were like digital monitors yep. that had an image on it. Yep. So that was interesting, and then. Those images range from eight thousand dollars to twelve thousand mm -hmm. dollars. So you're paying twelve up. You're paying up to twelve thousand dollars for like a fifty-two inch monitor, not unlike the monitor many of us have in our homes. We watch movies on mm -hmm. with like a piece of artwork on it that's like a, a a gif. So it kind of moves a little bit. Yeah, but it's like static. Yeah. So it was like these geometric shapes that had like oceans in the background. So the ocean was moving or the waves. So eight to twelve thousand dollars, and then there was one three D piece that was being guarded by a security guard that just looked like all the images in the on the monitors, and I didn't even bother to look how much that was. It would, I mean, not the art itself was fine. I mean, they had maybe five different motifs, and it was probably more interesting reading the statements about their intentions than the actual output. In my humble opinion, uh, but it was boring. Uh, you know, I, th I think we, at a point we had we were playing a game, uh, deciding who looked the most dysfunctional. Well, so then the room is filled with people who want to seem like I guess glamorous. I don't. I, don't, I mean, it was half and half, but couldn't spell it. And you know what's interesting about LA? The people who were trying really hard probably had zero dollars. Probably. And the, then there were people who walked in wearing like linen pants and. Birkenstocks with dirty toenails. Yes. Those are probably the rich ones. So it was a very interesting mix. And you could also tell who probably was just there because they wanted to be somewhere because there were no hors d'oeuvres. There were, there were alcoholic beverages being served. But they only had like two servers. Four at would, a time. Who would bring out four drinks at a time. And there were vultures, yeah. And then you could tell like whomever sort of rushed that person probably was just thirsty. Mm -hmm. Literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was my first time doing something like that. And it just reinforced, like, the, what I don't like about... And I'm sure that experience is not unique to L.A. No, of course but, not. But I think because we live in, like, we ourselves live in kind of a bubble. Mm -hmm. Like, we've created, like, a, what I think is, like, a normal life within, like, this craziness. 
I think I forget sometimes that it's like, there's a lot of bullshit out here. Oh, yes. Which is really what going last night made me think. Like, oh God, people are so pretentious and everyone's a wannabe. And it's just, it just made me think like making friends is so difficult because mm -hmm. like everyone's just so damn fake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, that was not a very, uh, trying to stay positive. Yeah. Did, uh, uh, did, did you want to address the other, uh, Oh, well, might as well get the, the, okay. So every time we talk about Marvel, cause we've only reviewed like three Marvel movies or two. Oh, I don't know. And then we did the Moon Knight series. Yes. Which was six episodes. So all those videos, every time they drop, we get a litany of comments about like, cause you know, we're not Marvel fans. And then we received a lengthy email about that as well. And I think I just wanted to address that. My intention is not to like offend. And also I don't think I don't think people who like Marvel movies are like dumb or stupid. No, and it was an email that I, I you know felt bad reading that we came off a certain way. No, in fact, I think that people who enjoy Marvel movies deserve better. I think that Marvel fans have been loyal to a brand and to a but I, I, I want to be clear that you can like things and it's never my intention to say because you like something that it makes you remedial or you're lesser than or, or you know, there, there are plenty of things that I am absolutely fascinated by and love with that I know, I know most people wouldn't agree with or that just, you know, I can't, I can't defend that they're of quality, but I still like them. Well, I think it's like, I'm not calling Marvel movies trash because again, there are a few that I really like. But I think some of the things you like that may not be quality, they're deliberately meant to be trashy. Some, but not everything. Or, like, or, or not all. And it doesn't like, matter. I think the point I was trying to make is that Marvel movies are an institution. And there's a huge fan base. And these people have been so loyal that I think the fans deserve more consistency in the quality of these films. That's all. So I think when I'm being critical, it's just like, this is insane that... A franchise of films or a universe of films that have all of the money. And we know they have all of the money because the casting is out of this world. They get people who don't even make sense in these movies. You have Charlize Theron running around looking crazy. Like, clearly they have money. So why can't they, like... We were talking... We went, we went to a family event last night and talking with someone who is a big Marvel fan. And they were saying that they thought that they're just running out of ways to tell the same stories, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. weave, well, weave, weave these characters into these different films. And I think, oh my God, the cat is terrorizing us. Um, yeah, so I, so I think that's all I mean. I'm not speaking for you. I just think that, I'm just saying that I feel like Marvel fans deserve more consistency in the quality of the film. Well, it's not like I set out, personally, I don't set out being like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hate this. Like somebody... That Riza, the last movie Riza directed, the producer had messaged me on Facebook, sending me a, a link to that Lindsay Duncan scene in Birdman. <laughs> I was having a good day till I read your review. It's like, well, I don't set out. Well, like, you do have biases. I mean, you don't. We go all into we, a, you we, don't go into a Marvel film, think, film thinking you're going to love it. No, we all we all have biases, but I'm not the person that goes in thinking like, oh, I can't wait to eviscerate this. But, in fact, my the best experiences to me are when you have low or no expectations and you come out really liking something. Like, I think you, you like this more than I do, but Thor Ragnarok 
in the Marvel universe kind of had that effect for me. Well, I think it's like, okay, so I really love Thor, Ragnarok, but then watching Moon Knight was like, the the quality of this writing... Or the two previous Thor films. <laughs> are, I, mean, it, I mean, it's just like, where is the consistency? And, and like, what is the rush to put out this shit? Like, I, I, like, I just don't understand. But again, people can like what they like. I'm not making judgments about the people who like it per se. I just more am like, the people who make these movies... Like, let's do better. Sure. But, again, people can like what they like. And even if it is crap, that's but, fine. But Now, I will admit, sometimes when people say they like certain films, and it's not just Marvel movies, like like a film that I thought was terrible, like people who are saying they like the new Firestarter. <laughs> I mean, I'll admit that I think, like, what's wrong with you? Or... <laughs> You can't tell me this is like the best of the best. Sure. Uh, but again, like I said, I like things that I know people have their reaction to. And I think it's just in my nature. I don't know if it's like growing up gay and I was having to kind of defend how I thought. Like I'll have, I'll have an automatic explanation about why I think so. And I'll allow that, oh, I know that it's got problems. <laughs> um Anyway, just... But anyway, to, the, to this uh, uh, listener that had uh, written the email, um, who uh, I also have to thank, because uh, this was the person that recommended Elin Harris, who was an author I was not familiar with and I'm very happy to know about now. Yes. So moving on, uh, for some reason, why was I watching Tom Cruise interviews? Because you were watching oh, Scary Movie Oh, because I was watching film. Scary Movie 4, and in the end of that... There's like Deborah Wilson doing her Oprah impression with the main character Playing pretending to be Tom Cruise. Tom Ryan. So then I'm like, yeah, his name's Tom Ryan in the movie. So I thought, oh, let me watch the actual interview where Tom went on Oprah to announce his love of Katie Holmes. Ugh. He's crazy. And, and when he goes <laughs> back and drags her out. And then he literally like, like caveman style grabs that lady and drags her out and you can stage. see PAs running like, like they're oh, confused like, like oh he's coming back here uh, then we transition from that interview to an interview he did around the time of Toby Maguire where Toby he Magu Jerry Maguire oh Jerry Maguire Toby Maguire I don't dare you know I don't know uh, when he when to Jerry Maguire was being released Tom went on Rosie O'Donnell Oh God, and all that whole. Oh, and I and Tommy, I always, can you hear me? Oh my God, I always forget how embarrassing it was that this obvious lesbian just kept saying how much she loves Tom Cruise, but it wasn't like she loved him as a person. It was like she has a crush on him. That's her boyfriend. He's a cutie patootie. Uh, oh my God! But it was a way to deflect those rumors, and you know the nineties were the ninety. You know, looking back, the nineties were more difficult than I think. For gay people sure i don't want to make you know i'm happy that she had a nice career but it's also like girl you didn't it's just like how ellen would yeah do that thing and it's yep. like so cringy but and then had to take a hard left when she came out and everything was about being a lesbian which the world was not ready for i need to look up interviews with rosie to see if she ever talked I'm, about that. i'm sure she's been asked that and she's obviously a smart person i'm sure she has i haven't bothered to look that up but. moving on uh so jesse williams is in oh god a play called take me out which i've seen a couple of times in minneapolis i've never like seen like a you know like a stage production a local stage production and i was just you know video and still photos of hit you know the nude shower scene were sort of leaked which are of him, which kind of got a lot of buzz because A, he looks great. B, his penis is, I mean, it looks abnormally large, but 
It seems super thick to me. It looks like a large penis. I guess I just see a lot of them, so it wasn't shocking. Wow. <laughs> but then this question of like consent and sexual harassment, which is interesting. It's interesting because you're on... That's like... Uh, it, stage is different than film, but also it's like it's out there for public consumption in a way that it's a gray area. To me, I think when you enter a theater and they say no photography, right. like they said that... And then you, and then they put your phone in those sleeves and lock them. And then you still take photos. Because, you know, anytime you go to a show where they take your phone and put it in a sleeve, they're not like frisking you for additional phones. Right. Or if you say you don't have a phone, they don't check you for it. So clearly someone had a phone. I think when you're told not to do something and you do it anyway, that's a violation. I agree. I agree. But I also feel like, well, in the same vein, it's kind of like when you send someone a nude photo. And they use and then it, they share it. They abuse that privilege. It's kind of like, well, I mean, yes, you one could make the argument that if you don't want nude photos of yourself being leaked out, then don't take nude photos. And certainly, if you do take them, don't share them. But it's also like, but I told you not to share it, mm -hmm. and you did it anyway. Mm -hmm. So my ultimate thought is, I think it's just gross to be told not to do something and you do it anyway, and then it's something like this where you're showing. Like, this was meant to be for, like, this intimate space. I agree. Like, the people doing it have a right to tell you what they want. And when you enter, you can agree. Because I'm sure if someone said, no, I want to be able to take photos of this, then they would say, well, you can't come in and here's your refund. Like, so, yeah, that, that's all I wanted to say about that. Moving on, there's an entry in the Sorry to This Man section. Oh, yeah. When we were talking about Firestarter, the 2022 film, you were listing off the cast from the 1980s film, and you mistakenly referred to Drew Barrymore's mom's character as being played by Morgan Fairchild. Which is so, you know, I well, just looked at that cast list, but it, I think it goes to show in my mind how I file away Heather Locklear and Morgan Fairchild. So, in fact, Heather Locklear played the mom. Which but, I, but I knew, I knew. If you look at pictures of Heather Locklear and... It, like, if you look at pictures of Heather Locklear as, like, a 60-year-old woman, and then you find pictures of Morgan Fairchild as a 60-year-old woman, they look very similar. Oh, yes, they do. But it, it, So, in my mind's eye, I know the difference. But, yes, they're very similar. And, you know, also those kind of... Uh, mental mistakes. I didn't have any kind of uh, reverence for either of them in, in my heart. So I did. So when you said it, I was like, "How could?" That's I why you were so surprised. Yeah, because like, how could I forget that? Because I I do like both of them. And also or did at a point. But that per that character's role is very is much smaller in the original as compared to the remake as well. All right, moving on. So films that were released we didn't cover. Operation Mincemeat. Uh, yeah, that came out on Netflix. A new film by John Madden, who many will know as the director of Shakespeare in Love. The football player? No, John Madden, the director of Shakespeare in Love, oh. as I just said. Uh, <laughs> well, the football player could have directed that too. This British World War II film? What are you saying about football players? Saying that... He probably wouldn't have They're won. too stupid to no, of direct course, of course he, Shakespeare. No, of course he could have directed it. I don't know how the result You're would already be. in trouble about Marvel. Now you're going to have NFL fans mad at you. <laughs> I didn't say he couldn't. I don't. Well, in the, I'm arguing about this film like it was of great quality. But oh, you not. did watch it. Yeah, I reviewed it. Oh. But not with you. Oh. Okay. You didn't want to watch it. I do like Kelly McDonald's. Uh, it's it's based on a true story uh, called Operation Mincemeat during World War II where British intelligence... Uh, 
tried to uh, mislead. They were they were going to invade Sicily and to invade or to evade the Nazis finding out, they created a fake plan to invade Greece by tossing a corpse in the coast off of Spain with a letter in it. <laughs> gave them this information and it, Brilliant. And it worked it worked <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, but it is interesting it felt like a movie made for your grandparents uh it, like there's almost this comic tone to it which is like well you know we're it's world war ii uh but again i do like kelly mcdonald's uh, colin firth is fine thomas McFadden had nothing to do uh you know if you're a john madden fan i guess it's worth a watch his last one was miss sloan with Jessica Chastain. Next, The Last Victim. Uh, we didn't review that. That is... Uh, well, there's the cat food. <sighs> oh, just feline related interruptions. Jesus. Uh, Ron Perlman's in it. Uh, it's a neo-western and you had passed on reviewing it. Lastly, Mao. Uh, it's a documentary about the designer Bruce Mao, who I'm ignorant about, uh, but his... I'm, I'm told it's about his indefatigable, uh, indefatigable, indefatigable uh, positivity. Moving on. This week's been so busy. There, I feel like there's so much to do and none of it can get done. And then you're getting ready to go to France today. Yeah. So we only watched one movie for fun, which was Senior Year, starring Rebel Wilson. Oh, I watched another. Sorry, I forgot about the other thing to... I did watch something else, but go ahead. Uh, so I only put it on because I was working and I thought, oh, let me put something stupid on in the background. But this movie really grabbed my attention. I actually thought it was quite funny. It's very queer. Yeah. I would well, say the worst part of the movie is Rebel Wilson. <laughs> but if you take her out of it, it's a really funny, kind of smart movie. Um, it kind of reminds me of like if you mix Mean Girls with GBF. Yeah, yeah. You know, GBF is that movie by Darren Stein. Yeah, who did Jawbreaker. I can't believe I remembered that. I can't either. But we see him around all but over But I LA. see him a lot, so maybe that's why I remember. Um, and I really like that movie. When I had my studio, there was like a, a, a coterie of films, like 10 films that I would watch on repeat. And GBF, GBF was one of them. Uh, some others that were on repeat were Event Horizon. Really? I do like that film. Uh, yeah, I watched Event Horizon like a million times. Baby Bear. Uh, Prometheus. Oh, God. I watched that on... Well, because that was when I... I had a lot of straight men whose hair I would cut. Yeah, so, you, you used to call the scientists hot, who look like hulking Nazis, but... The scientists? Those big white creatures, isn't that what they call you them? You mean the origin of man? Yeah, but... They're called the scientists? I think so. I forget what they're referred they to. They were good looking. For like a cartoon alien look, thing. They look like men in West Hollywood at 24 Hour Fitness. But oh, You're just a hater. Um, Maybe. So, yeah, the straight guys I would put on either Prometheus or Event Horizon. So I would watch those a lot. The, of course, Tu Wong Fu, mm-hmm. Mommy Dearest. And then, yes. Um, GBF. GBF. I was getting Clueless vibes from it a lot, too. Oh yes, and Alicia Silverstone makes a cameo. In a, she does in a in a, a nice in a nice moment. scene. The basic story is there's a a, a, a young lady who uh, her senior year, it's two thousand one. Two thousand one, yeah. She is a cheer, she's like the head cheerleader, mm-hmm. cheer captain, and she's doing a stunt, and she hits her head and, um, which causes her to go into a coma. 
Mm-hmm. And then she wakes up 20 years later, modern day, looking like Rebel Wilson, mm-hmm. <laughs> who's just stuck in like 2001. In her mind, yeah. In her mind. So, and then she wants to go back to high school to finish her senior year. She also had an enemy played by, as an adult, Zoe Chow. Mm-hmm. She had a, like the hottest boy in school who she was dating. But it's her trying to reconcile like that and... I think the most refreshing part... Of, well, the music's really good. It is. Because it's all 2001 stuff. And then we see the girl, Rebel Wilson's character, her bedroom in 2001. And it's... I mean, this movie is like your age. Yeah, that's... I was in high school. You, you were that character's age. So, yeah, seeing all the posters in her room. Of course, there's Janet Jackson in there. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I like that. But... Um, the music's great, except... The final song, like at the prom where she slow dances because, spoiler alert, she becomes prom queen. Mm -hmm. They made the choice. They spent so much money on the music. And then the final dance song, like slow dance song, it's a Celine Dion song. From the 90s. From the 90s. So it wasn't even popular in the year she was in senior year. But it's like a cover, like a like a yeah. cover band version. I thought that was really weird. That is weird to spend all that money on all these popular songs from the early. 2000s. Well, you know, I'd, how much does an Avril song cost from that? How much? Yeah, does but, Skater Boy but, cost? but they didn't. But they they couldn't have found a ballad from two thousand one that everyone would know instead of doing fake Celine Dion. Sure, that really bothered sure. me. Um, but the best part is, it's the adults who are like being petty and being bullies. Yeah, yeah. Specifically Rebel Wilson and Zoe Chow are being very awful to each other. But the high school students in 2021 are actually very progressive, very thoughtful. The way they've set up their school is like they want equality and parity and there's a lot of queer characters. Like the most popular girl in school has a boyfriend, but the boyfriend is queer. And mm-hmm. They have an open relationship. They have an open relationship and then like Rebel Wilson's character's like best friend is this very femme gay boy mm-hmm. and like everyone's very kind to everyone. The lunchroom is like long benches so that the people don't feel segregated mm-hmm. and so it actually made me feel really nice like watching the high school students. It it had it has this idea of, you know, even people uh, that were my age grew up in this kind of traumatized way that we're continuing these these cycles of abuse and that that maybe, I think it felt hopeful in a way that maybe these younger kids will have a better chance of breaking out of that. But yeah, so um, uh, but also it you know it reminded me it's it's a lesser than kind of vibe to something like Strangers with Candy or Peggy Sue Got Married. Oh sure, but uh, but yes. I would definitely recommend it if you have Netflix. Put it on in the background; it'll catch your attention. Yeah, it was fine. Um, and there were moments I did laugh out loud. Yeah, it namely has... uh, right in the like within the first twenty minutes, Rebel Wilson does. What's the movie with the lady from Roseanne where her daughter jumps out of the car? Ladybird. Lady yeah. There's a Ladybird moment where Rebel Wilson jumps out of the car. Yeah. <laughs> so it starts off funny. Um, okay, moving on to... Oh, uh, you uh, watched something for fun. Uh, I Somehow, with all these canned screeners, I made a point to uh, watch One Cut of the Dead. It's a 2017 Japanese film directed by Shinchiro Ueda, which, of course, was remade by Michelle uh, Hazanavicious. However you... I don't... Who, the guy who directed The Artist, which you've seen, uh, his film is opening out of competition, uh, the Cannes Film Festival, Final Cut, uh, and it's a remake of this film. And I did not enjoy that. 
Okay. It's about a group of people making a movie about zombies, and they're actually attacked by zombies, and the director uh, thinks that he's finally got a great film on his hands. That sounds interesting. It's mm, I'm tired of zombies. All right, projects of interest, The Shrouds. Oh, God. So David Cronenberg hasn't had a movie in eight years since Maps to the Stars, and uh, where I'm about to see Crimes of the Future at Cannes, and he's already announced a new project called The Shrouds that's going to star Vincent Cassell. It's produced by Saeed Ben Saeed. Uh, and it's something to do about uh, new technology where you can watch your dead ones decompose. <laughs> mm. uh, so that's exciting to me. There's a sequel to This Is Spinal Tap. Yeah. Uh, which When was the original? 85? I've never seen that movie. Uh, yeah, so that is... I walked past that video cassette... So uh, many times, ...in yes. the video store as a kid so many times, but never picked it up. And the man on the cover is from, like, Howard the Duck, right? Jeffrey Jones? Isn't he in Howard the Duck? I don't think... Is Jeffrey What Jones? do I know Jeffrey Jones from? Heartbreakers. No, as a kid. Oh, it would have been 80s. It would have been Howard the Duck. Yeah, and so I don't know. Like I, it always caught my attention, but I, I, I think you're. Aren't it. you thinking Michael McKean? Uh, talk about this quickly, and let me look. Anyway, this. it's an early Christopher Guest, of course, directed by Rob Reiner. Uh, apparently, the original cast and Reiner are uh, returning. Uh, so that is big news, I'm sure, to some. I'm thinking of Michael McKean, and I know him from. Tracy Allman. Oh, uh, no. You Lenny know I know him from Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. That's what I know him from. Mm. Anyway. But he's you... been in so much. Y'all know I'm old. Okay. He Liminal. Was, wasn't he just, uh, we watched in, in that Gary Busey movie, Hider in the House, isn't he, married, isn't he married to Mimi Rogers in that? I don't recall. I think so. Okay. Limonov. Is it Mimi Rogers? Yeah. Uh, Limonov, uh, The Ballad of Eddie, uh, which uh, another Cannes filmmaker, Kirill uh, Serebrennikov, is about to... I'm about to see Tchaikovsky's wife. Uh, he is directing uh, Limonov, which is based on an Emmanuel Carrere novel uh, that after Cold War in 2018, Pavel Polakowski was supposed to direct it and instead is producing. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, exciting news to me. Audiard? Jacques Audiard. Uh, God, you haven't seen any of his films because you passed on Paris 13th District, which just released. Which you I didn't, didn't like that movie. I didn't like it. So but, lucky me. But he's, uh, I recommend Read My Lips, the beat that my heart skipped. Uh, Un Prophet was uh, his 2009. That was a big deal for him. I do like Rustin Bone uh, and the Sisters Brothers. He is making a Spanish language debut musical that so far is called Amelia Perez. And it is about a, a Mexican drug cartel leader who becomes trans so he can reunite with his children and avoid uh, legal ramifications. And uh, it's being described as kind of like Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, they've cast the lead as Carla Sofia Gascon uh, and Selena Gomez and Zoe Saldana are in talks for supporting characters. That sounds strange and amazing to me. Next, The Tiger. Oh, so Miroslav Slavoj Pitsky uh, had a big breakout, I want to say, in 2014 for his debut, The Tribe, uh, which I think you'd like. It is, there's no dialogue. It's set in a deaf school of kids like abusing each other in the Ukraine. Uh, he, he was going to film uh, something in uh, the Chernobyl area that I think fell through. Uh, and then he announced this project called The Tiger several years ago that was going to star Brad Pitt. Well, he's still attached and that's still coming together now and it's just been announced that Alexander Skarsgård and Dane DeHaan are attached. 
Lastly, they, them. I sent you the screenshot about this. Uh, it's already filmed. It's going to come out on Hulu in August. Uh, it's a Blumhouse produced horror film starring Kevin Bacon about gay conversion oh, camp. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that looks interesting. Yeah, that sounds very interesting to me. All right. Unfortunately, there's an entry in the obituary section. Mm. Fred Ward is gone, y'all. Of Kevin Bacon, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, the Tremors you co-star. Know, um, everything I read about him, like, you know, they mentioned the films he's been in and like none of them sort of list tremors in like the top, which is funny to me because that's how I know him. But yes, <laughs> but I recognize the other films he's in. Um, oh, yeah. Silkwood. Um, yeah. Fred Ward. Because I, I, I think we reviewed the Blu-ray for Tremors that came out. And oh, yeah. I did. I did remember finding Fred very handsome when I was a young child. Um Mostly for Tremors, I guess. But uh, And then somebody had recommended, is it Cast a Deadly Spell, the TV film? Mm. Yes, uh, I did go back and rewatch that, which is a lot of fun. And, uh, oh, I do have lots of memories of him as Nick Gunn, 33 and a third, uh, which has, we had a lot of conversations about Pia Zadora last night, uh, who's also in that movie. Oh, yeah. Well, he was 79, so goodbye to him. All right, so we finally got to a movie that someone recommended. Because people recommend so many good films for us to review, but it's just not possible usually. (laughs) You know, we have like a mental list, but it's just hard because there are already films we have to watch or whatever. But the stars aligned on this one because when I mentioned it to you, you were like, oh, I haven't seen that one and it's on Amazon Prime and I owned it on VHS as a kid because I had a Faye Dunaway phase but I think I was never interested because it was a western okay so the film in question is Little Big Man the Mm -hmm. 1970 American western film directed by Arthur Penn Mm -hmm. who some of you may know I didn't but uh so Arthur Penn basically his 1967 film Bonnie and Clyde which gave Faye Dunaway, her big break. Uh, that is listed as kind of the start of the new American cinema movement, uh, which throughout the 70s where we had the, all this fantastic cinema that studios produced that you just would not have today. So when I looked up this movie quickly, based on the recommendation, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm interested. I don't love Westerns. Well, it's a revisionist Western. So all, that I, all I had in my head was it's a Western. But then you said, oh, I'd watch that. So I did, and it is not at all what I thought it would be. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a comedy. <laughs> it's a comedy. It's also very angry. It's a very distressing film. Yeah, the juxtaposition of violence and humor is very interesting. Overall, I would say I thought this movie was very, very good. It's excellent. Uh, Tom, it's based on a 1964 novel by Thomas Berger, who's a famously reclusive author. Uh, and the novel was adapted by Calder Willingham, who uh, wrote The Graduate. Yeah, I would say it's excellent. Uh, it did feel a little long to me. It's, it's two hours, 20 minutes. Yes. <laughs> and it felt longer than that. But I think uh, it's just, I mean, there's just, I, I had to stop taking notes because I had too many. Because there were so many things I thought was thought were funny. But it, basically, it is... The story of, like, the world's oldest man, played by Dustin Hoffman. Mm -hmm. The film opens with him being interviewed. By William Hickey. (laughs) And he (laughs) sort of... Who became a notoriously old man. And he... uh, Dustin Hoffman's character, who's supposed to be 121 years old, his character's name is Jack Crabb. Mm -hmm. And he tells the guy... Like, he sort of casually mentions the Battle of the Little Bighorn, Mm -hmm. which is, like, Custer's last... Custer's 
last stand. Yeah. And the interviewer is like, girl, what are like, are you saying you were there? And he's like, turn this fucking microphone yeah. on. So then the film is basically this old, old man Narrate, telling his life story. story. Um, but basically, Jack Crabb, we meet him as like a kid and he's like traveling with his family, his white family, when they're attacked by, I believe, uh, the uh, like a Pawnee tribe. Yes, the Pawnees. Who kill his parents, leave him, him and his sister. The sister escapes. And no, then you, him and the sister are picked up by Shadow. Oh, Cheyenne uh, tribe. A Cheyenne tribe member. And because I think he takes pity on them and they mistake Carolyn, the sister, for a man. So that, she's, she's, yeah, <laughs> she's a strong looking lady. Yes. And then she runs away in the night. So then Jack, Dustin Hoffman's character, is left to be raised by this, the, the Cheyenne uh, people who call themselves human beings. Yeah. There's something about the translation that there aren't English words that rightly uh, translate that. So that would be. But the bulk of the film is sort of Jack bouncing from being like a white man to an indigenous person yeah. or a human being, mm-hmm. uh, which includes, you know, a form of blackface. Uh, but it's, I think it's done in a respectful way. Um, well, I think it's for protection both from the sun and so he doesn't stick out. Like they, they, the, to both the, the indigenous Cheyenne, people and the white man. Yeah, the Cheyenne paint him. So it's not meant to be a joke. It's like him sort of like survive, existing. It's survival. Yeah. yeah. But, um, so it just goes back and forth until he has a run-in with Custer, General Custer. And then the film culminates with the Battle of the Little Bighorn. And then... He, Sort of a character throughout the film is who Jack refers to as his grandfather, which is this, like, the leader of this Cheyenne tribe. Old Lodgeskins. And so, which I thought was maybe my favorite character. Oh, so, Chief Dan George, who is Oscar nominated for the That role. man, oh, he was, he yeah. deserves it because, well, and the writing in the this is so great. strong. Because that man is talking so much shit. Yeah. <laughs> and the way they talk, because they all speak English. But the way the um, human beings talk, they speak very good English. Yeah. So that already is funny that they're not speaking their, you know, sort of native language or tribal language. But then the grandfather just says so many, like, random crazy things in a very calm, sort of flat tone. Kind of sweet, though. And sweet. Yeah. Uh, So, so funny. But then also a lot of poignant things. I mean, the end of the film is um, after the battle, which the Cheyenne people win... Or the human beings, you know, defeat the bat. They win this battle against the white men. But then the grandfather says, I'm ready to die. Because we're never going to beat the white man. And he's just old and blind and he's been through too much. So he goes to... So that little speech he gives I thought was poignant. And then there's a, ba- there's a previous battle where the white men are just like massacring massacre, all the... Yeah. And that's where they kill human his beings. wife's sunshine and his child with her. Yeah, that was... You know, that's hard, hard to, to watch. watch, but but, I mean, but but the humor is so I think fun because you know we we get this scene of the grandfather talking about why he wants to die, and then he goes up to this like cliff to die, and of course his grandson Dustin Hoffman follows him, and then it starts raining, and it wakes the grandfather up like he didn't die, and he's like, "Am I? Am have, I still in this world? Yeah, have I moved on to the other world?" And Dustin Hoffman's like, "No." And then the grandfather gets up like he's disappointed. So the the last shot of the film is them walking back to their... Well, the, before they, we switch back to the interviewer. 
Right. And then it's just the grandfather talking crazy. Talking about how he is like having sex with a snake woman. But you know, they're known to copulate with horses. But I don't believe her. Cause so I call her doesn't like horses. So but I call but of course her, she's lying. But yeah, so I named her doesn't like horses. But you know she's lying. Um, yeah, I have a million notes. I don't even know if I'll go through them. It's just too much. But This feels like... Uh, I, I think Forrest Gump was trying to do what this film does, but without the skill or magic that Little Big Man has. There's so much about it that's good. First of all, it feels epic. It, yeah. Even though I felt like it, it kind of ran a little too long for my taste, um, it does feel grand. I think Dustin Hoffman, um, who plays like from ages like, what, 14, 15? To 120. I think he's in the world Guinness World Book of Records for playing a character with the, lo- the longest lifespan. Yeah, yeah. But when he's supposed to be like a younger teenager, I mean, he kind of fits the role because yeah. he's small and his body, he has the body of like a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought he did a great job. Faye Dunaway. <laughs> she's not in the movie a lot. She's just in the beginning and the end. But when... So Jack... Dustin Hoffman is being raised by the Cheyenne people. They get like um, hemmed up by some white men, and then Dustin Hoffman gets taken by the white men. So they, so now this like preacher man is going to raise him with his wife, played by Faye Dunaway. Mrs. But we find out Mrs. Pendrake. But we find out Faye Dunaway's character is a hoe. Like she's just like a nymphomaniac. But then they're very religious, mm-hmm. so everything is about God and. But they're full of shit because she just wants to have sex with everyone. But she That's raised... not her husband who's old and ugly. Yeah. And the time span of how long he's with them is not clear, but it seems like it's not very long. Maybe like a month. Mm-hmm. When one day she's like, oh, I'm going for my Wednesday grocery run. And Jack wants to go with her. And she begrudgingly lets him come. But then we realize she's not going to buy food. She's going to hook up with the fucking soda shop man. Yeah. And Dustin Hoffman witnesses it, and he gets upset and leaves. Because during this period, he's become religious, but then he denounces religion after he realizes that it's all bullshit. But the scene where Faye Dunaway's having sex with the soda man, and she's like, kind of saying like, oh, the devil, and... Oh, help, help. Yeah, like she's screaming for help and saying the devil and sinful. And you all heathen. This. You heathen, but then she's moaning in pleasure. <laughs> that was really good. And then, you know, she becomes a... Oh, I liked her snood in those scenes. Uh, and then she... She looks really good. She looks great. And then uh, fast forward where they... She ends up being the lover of Wild Bill who's dying wish while um, Jack Crab is there in the saloon seeing him dies to give this prostitute he likes... This money that ends up being her. And then ends up being Mrs. Pendrake. And, and when she, she sees him, she's embarrassed. But then she's like, you know, I always... She's like, like I always had uh, impure thoughts about you. But she has a good line about how it's not fun. That This is a sinful life, but it's no fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me just go through my random notes. The <laughs> There's a point where Grandfather is doing like... The hi yeah yeah, but the way he's doing it, I thought it sounded like Britney Spears. Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I kept thinking every time Dustin Hoffman was uh, pretending to be a human being, a Cheyenne, a tribal member, like where did he get his foundation from? Because <laughs> they say it's the they they call it Indian paint, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is like mud and clay or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But the, it looks like foundation, so it's just kind of it funny. probably is. <laughs> um, when Jack first gets to Faye Dunaway's when Dustin Hoffman first meets Faye Dunaway 
they um they uh she gives him a bath <laughs> and that was a funny scene so after he leaves he go he hooked up with Martin Balsam who's, who's like a, a a snake oil a snake oil salesman salesperson. Mr. Mer- Mr. Merriweather he has a really good line too uh, cuz he has an exchange with Jack saying that uh you know the way you were raised that there's this moral center the center of the universe is wrong uh, and he has a really good line I liked about those stars twilight and a void so then while he's with the snake oil man the snake oil man gets hemmed up because he's giving people this potion that's making them more sick so then someone comes to like you know kill him because he's hurting people and the person who comes is this man who as the audience we can see is probably a lady Mm -hmm. and that lady turns out to be dustin hoffman's sister Mm mm-hmm Who's a very strong looking lady. Mm-hmm. Played by Carol Andros. But that was a funny scene because his interaction with her basically amounts to him learning how to shoot a gun. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was funny. At a point when... Because now Dustin's sort of been a, a white man for a while. He goes back to being um, a human being. He is reintroduced to some of the people he had first met. One of whom is, they call a... Himane, mm-hmm. which is like a two-spirit person. Little horse. Yeah. So like a, a, a trans woman. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting because this film was made in 1970. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they handle it, I think. They handle it I where... mean, they do make his character seem kind of faggy, but... Um, well, he's flamboyant, but the, you know, the narration is like, well, the, this person's greatly respected. In the yeah, they do make it a point to explain like the, his people or their people respect them and then later on in the film this uh, two-spirit person little horse asks jack dustin hoffman if he'll take her as his wife he's like well come to my tp you can i can be your wife and he goes thank you for the invitation yeah (laughs) so i thought that was cool yeah um then early on in the film when younger jack is riding with his cheyenne people they get accosted by some white men and Jack saves this other character whose name I forgot. Like Big Business Bear. Young, business, young, younger Bear. Big Business Bear. Big Business Bear. Starring Bette Midler. No, uh, Younger Bear. So now throughout the film, Younger Bear, oh, like Dustin Hoffman saved Younger Bear's life. So then the joke throughout the film is like Younger Bear. Owes, hates him. He hates him because he owes him his life. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, um, he, Younger Bear ends up saving Dustin Hoffman's life. And the way that this story poses it is that Younger Bear is the one that shoot, kills General Custer. But uh, earlier in the film, Younger Bear, there's a point in his life when he's a contrary, which yeah. means he does everything backwards. And then we see him walking backwards and doing stupid shit. I thought that was funny. Well, and we, they introduced it as like, well, the contraries, the way they live drives them, they drive themselves crazy. Then when grandfather, so then Dustin Hoffman marries some woman named Olga. And then when he goes back, he, Olga goes missing at a point, but at, she's abducted. She's abducted by the Cheyenne. By by the Cheyenne. But then before that, uh, D- Dustin tells grandfather, "Like I married this woman, this white woman, this white woman." And he goes, uh, "The grandfather goes, does she cook and work hard?" He goes, "Yeah." Does she show pleasant enthusiasm when you mount her? And he's like, "Yeah." And then grandfather goes, "That surprises me." <laughs> he's like, I, "Yeah." He's like, "I tried one of them. <laughs> she didn't seem very enthusiastic." Then there's a point when the Cheyenne people are describing, like, "Oh, there are like black, like trend, like the concept of black people." Mm-hmm. And then they say, "Black men are not as ugly as the whites, but just as crazy." Yeah. <laughs> and they call them black white men. 
Um, there could be a drinking game for the number of times grandfather says, like, anytime something's introduced to him, he's like, I think we should smoke about yeah. that. <laughs> like, all they want to do is drink and smoke. <laughs> um, and then Younger Bear ends up being married to, to Olga. To Olga. Because he... he uh, becomes uh, little big man again because he's looking for Olga, and the only way he can find safety in looking for her is to live with the Cheyenne in this land that's been reserved for them. When Younger Bear is talking about his wife, he's trying to make it seem like he's the man of the yeah. house. And then when Olga steps out, she is so overbearing. She beats him with like a duck. And oh, little horses like his wife henpecks him. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. Um, we only have like six minutes. Um, then uh, Dustin Hoffman marries a um, Cheyenne woman who has like... Sunshine, who is Shadow's daughter. But then at a point she's like, oh, there are so many women here whose men have died and they're lonely. <laughs> Basically saying to her, like, saying to Dustin Hoffman, like, will you marry my three sisters and pleasure them? Mm -hmm. So there's a scene where he does go... Digging, the, bear, digging Bear and Corn Woman and... So they have some f fun names, but uh, yeah, there's a scene where he has to go and like pleasure the three of them. Like, what? And they're all just coughing. Um, he's, uh, what is it? Digging Bear is like, don't go to her. She's too tired. And she's like hacking up a lung. He's like, I think she's... Then, uh, so then General Custer, I'm, I'm not a historian, or I'm not a history buff, so I, I don't know much oh, he about... Was a, he was a... But uh, he was known to be... Oh, yeah. But he's, in this film, oh, they make awful. him seem like a buffoon. Well, it, he was an idiot. It's, it, it's funny. My last note is Who's that, played by Richard Mulligan of Empty Nest. Yes, a show I watched. And then f when we see that Faye Dunaway... Oh, you already mentioned how she describes herself as a fallen flower. Yeah, no, and, uh, but I liked her line about how it's not any fun when you have to do it every night. Yeah. <laughs> but she, he's with her in like the drawing room and her, the madam comes out and just starts chewing her a new asshole. It's like, what are you doing sitting on your ass? And then she sees Dustin Hopkins. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I didn't know we had company. <laughs> Let me know if you need anything. <laughs> yeah, we call this the place where you can find anything. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just uh, very impressive. But I think, it, I'm glad I watched it now. I think if I had seen it, you know, as a younger teenager that was obsessed with Faye Dunaway, a lot of this would have been lost on me. I uh, think this is a really good example of how comedy can approach taboo subject matter and s sort of send a message and create dialogue while disarming people with humor, mm -hmm. which is why I think it's so important that we don't censor specifically comedians because mm -hmm. it's like how else are we going to talk about things this, these horrible fucking things people get so offended by what comedians say and it's like what so you want just some random person to approach you in the grocery store and say I want to have a serious talk about abortion like that's not how people don't want that either right. so it's like you have to present it in a way that's palatable and I think comedy is that thing and this film I think is a really great example of sending a very clear message and honoring the truth while making it something that, you know, might make people think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, good job. I, in, I, if you like Chief Dan George, I highly recommend The Outlaw Josie Wales, uh, starring Clint Eastwood. He's very good in that as well. Uh, and, you know, of course, this is reminiscent of something like Dances with Wolves and how it at least attempts to uh, honor uh, indigenous peoples from a white perspective. But, uh, yeah, I, I was very impressed. Um, I'm not the biggest Dustin Hoffman fan, uh, but I really like I mean, Tootsie. I do like Tootsie. Oh, Tootsie's great. And th there are similarities between what his character has to do. And I could rewatch Rain Man talking about Tom Cruise. 
<laughs> oh god <laughs> but we need to wrap up so you're leaving for france today i am um i'm sure we'll do we'll do the podcast next sunday like via i don't know i'll have to record our google voice conversation oh my god. or maybe i'll rec- well you know what we did last time uh, on spotify we can do like a video podcast the mm-hmm. audio still translates to apple uh, podcast but for people who listen to us on pot on spotify they can actually see us talking on zoom so we'll probably do that and then i'm sure we'll do a like an update maybe like on wednesday or thursday sure and then we might watch one movie i might i don't know did you rsvp me for the bob's burger movie i didn't but i can uh we'll see i might watch something i mean i would like to see that obviously i won't be here but um i i might do a video you should on my own i don't know the one video i did on my own was what was it? Great White? Yeah. That I mean, shit was hard. As you, can see, as you know, it's a lot of work to have to do it all. Yeah. I, I, it, it was a struggle to record that video for me. <laughs> but you did just, you did swimmingly. Not that I don't think I can speak on my own. It's just I'm so used to having you to bounce off of mm-hmm. that it was not easy. But we'll see. Maybe I will. Just do your research. Get some of the facts. And we'll see. We we'll all mess see. up as I did. Sorry, Ms. Morgan and... Ms. 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 Fairchild. Ms. Fairchild, Ms. Uh, Ms. Locklear. Ms. Locklear. I know you're not the same, but sometimes. Um, I you have a quote. I had a quote from Thomas Berger, who wrote the novel, uh, Little Big Man. Um, if you want to really relax sometime, just fall to rock bottom and you'll be a happy man. Most all troubles come from having standards. Oh. <laughs> I think he was a depressing person. <laughs> oh, I kind of like him. Anything else? No. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.